welcome to the Real Issue Podcast. I am your host, Rob Lundberg, and I am going to be a host for the next several moments. And, you know, last week we talked about the resurrection. And I um, was uh, thinking about, you know, how to deal with maybe folk, uh, faith in a COVID uh, culture. There's something a little bit more important that came across my eyes this morning that I'm noticing and something that was really forced in my face this week, watching some commercials on our Roku television and even seeing some stuff on the internet about cults. Well, they, they weren't calling themselves a cult. But they were considering themselves a church of Jesus Christ. And what I figured I would do is go back to my roots a little bit, where I first started in the counter-cult movement, and go back, since, you know, we're quarantined, dig back into the archives of our, of our apologetics roots back in the uh, 70s and actually the 80s, not the 70s, I gosh, I wasn't even saved then. I guess I had people coming to my door uh, with magazines and stuff and people on bicycles and white shirts and dark pants being really, really nice and everything, talking about a false gospel. But what happened to me back in the 80s was I ran into a book at the Heritage House in Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm digging all the way back. And it was called The Kingdom of the Cults by the great Dr. Walter Martin. And I go back that far in apologetics. I started off with the counter-cult movement back in the 80s uh, after I was saved, probably about maybe two years, three years after I was saved. And... I started engaging people more along the lines of false beliefs and what the Bible had to say. And then I ran into, when I was in seminary, I ran into the likes of Dr. Norman Geisler and Ravi Zacharias and on his Let My People Think, and my whole methodology changed. And that's because the Lord had gone and reminded me during a high time of doing hygiene in the morning that the cults will be here with us, they were with us, ever since the beginning of the Christian church with false doctrines on who Jesus is. And we'll touch on that in, in, not too, um, in a few moments. About who Jesus is, <coughs> who God is, what salvation is, and what is the authority of that particular group. It doesn't line up with the Bible. And... Of course, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the church today. Get writers like Sarah Young, who wrote this book, Jesus Calling. I, that ran across my eyes this morning with a church I'll leave unnamed. I've gone and preached at this church at one time. But recent posts on their Facebook page was quotes by Sarah Young, who used auto automatic writing, which is an occultic practice to be inspiring to their church members on their page. And I couldn't tell you how many times I saw people with likes. And I was, I was reminded of a passage 
in 2 Corinthians, and I want to find this, I'm turning to it while I'm talking to you, but I was reminded by this because, folks, there's nothing new under the sun. No, there's nothing new under the sun since Solomon said that thousand, a couple thousand, three thousand years ago. And folks, the church and Christians are very, very susceptible to be invaded by cult theology. We see it with a with the prosperity gospel and new apostolic reformation. We see it with uh, the Mormon Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses. We see it within the United Pentecostals, which is non-Trinitarian, and T.D. Jakes, and um, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Yes, I said it. They don't believe in a historical doctrinal trinity. And I'm reminded by what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says, starting in verse 3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom, you have, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. He says, Paul says, you bear with this beautifully. And then he goes off to say that, that these folks are deceitful workers. Skipping down to verse 12, he said, but what I'm doing will continue to, and will continue to do so that I may not may, may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting, talking about the false teachers. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So you talk about the things like Kenneth Copeland, that what he recently said about rebuking the COVID virus. Folks, we have this problem in the church right now. And the secular city is looking back and laughing at us. Folks, that's a problem. But then he goes on to say, uh, let me backtrack to verse 13. For such men are deceitful work, uh, false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, Satan's not this little being in a red suit and a devil, on a deviled ham cam with horns and a pitchfork. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be in accordance to their deeds or their works. So what I want to talk to you about today, I'm eight minutes into the show already, is how in the world do you and I discern cult teaching? How do you discern error from the truth? Of course, you have to know truth first, but how do you know that is the case? Well, that's what we're going to talk about 
today. And I'm moving some things around because I had another manuscript mixed up with this one that I'm talking to you from today. And I'll follow that, or follow that with the binder clips and just uh, probably in the break. But let's talk about this thing. How do you discern? That's a key word. Discern. <laughs> because, <coughs> excuse me, not many... Christians who think they are discerning really are discerning. Part of this is because they're not being taught by pastors in their churches. Christian doctrine. So consider this probably a little bit of a doctrinal lesson. So what do we mean, I guess, the first thing I think we need to deal with is what we mean by the word cult. Because, you know, this about five different definitions in Webster's dictionary. Uh, for example, you know, you could talk about um, um, a, a cult being a group of people, which would be right. They'd be focused around an ideology. That would be okay. Um, that there are um, people who are have like a cult following, which would be okay. Um, you know, the word cult, I'm going to take from the context. I mentioned the man's name earlier. Walter Martin wrote a great book. It's been through several uh, editions and updates called The Kingdom of the Cults. He says a cult is this. When we speak of a cult, we are talking about a group of people who are gathered around a specific person or person's misinterpretation of the Bible. And those misinterpretations, those misinterpretations deviate from the cardinal tenets of the historical Christian faith. Now, this is really amazing because when we talk about cult, you know, how do you, how do you recognize these deviations? Well, there are some mathematical operations that are out there so that you can um, understand this a little bit better, particularly if you are a Christian listening. If you are a member of any of the groups that I mentioned here, mention, um, then I am not going to apologize. If I'm misrepresenting your group, I want you to email me and let me know where I do that because I don't want to misrepresent. I want to be truthful. In all of this, just don't go and say that Lundberg is spelling is dispelling lies about our group. I want I want you to take me on, and I want you to recorrect, or I want you to correct where I'm in error, so that way I can go and do another show like this and show where those are in error. You know, there's only one cult in in uh, American history that has actually went from heterodoxy or heresy to biblical orthodoxy, and that is the Worldwide Church of God. And then even that had a split with many of those staying with the old heretical Herbert W. Armstrong. But then Joseph Tkach and some others, they had gone in the late 90s examining the Trinity, examining the deity of Christ, examining God, examining what the scriptures said. 
And now they are a splinter group off of that, but they are holding to biblical orthodoxy. So let's let's dive into this. Yeah, I mentioned the mathematical operations. I started chasing a rabbit that we had to kill and eat. Um, when we talk about mathematical operations, over the years, many in the counter-cult community, which I've been a member, have come forth with this approach. As I go through these operations, I'm going to address probably the two most popular cults that we see today. Of course, there are others. And if you want a great resource, there's two of them out there. There's Anton Hines' Apologetics Index that you can go to which has a plethora of information. And then also my friend James Walker down at Watchman Fellowship, which has been around. James is a former Mormon, and he uh, has uh, um, uh, a great program called Watchman Fellowship where they have indexes, they have profiles that you can go pull for free and then if you want them in a binder, they can go and, you know, for a reasonable cost, you can go and get those bound up so that you have a nice resource. But these folks even use these, these, this approach that I'm sharing with you. Also, my friend Pat Zuckerin, who uh, is a, a graduate of Oklahoma Baptist University and works with Probe Ministries. Uh, Pat has actually used this as well. It's called the Mathematical Operations or the Patterns in the Cults talking about using things like addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And looking at my timer, I'm going to probably go to a break and then we'll divide into this, but we'll dive into this with that. But um, let me just explain these. We'll go to a break and then I'll dive into them a little bit deeper. First off, when you talk about addition, addition, you're talking about does the religious group that is under examination add to the word of God through indispensable publications that claim to give the Bible's clear teaching or meaning through present-day direct revelation from God. Okay, we'll talk about that after the break. Subtraction. Does the examined group subtract from the person of Jesus Christ, making him less God and uh, less, uh, less man? Does it, does it tinker with his nature? You know, kind of like Bill Johnson does with the New Apostolic Reformation, which I can get into that a little later. And then multiplication. Does the group in, under examination multiply the uh, requirements for salvation, making salvation by grace through faith um, less than salvation equals faith plus works? Faithless works is cult theology. Salvation alone is great by grace alone through faith alone. But do they add to that by grace alone through faith alone by adding works? That's what I'm talking about. And then, of course, division. Do they divide loyalties? Does this religious group under examination divide the loyalty of its members between God itself and its leaders? Also, does the group unquestioned make devotion to the organization a test of faith and consider adherence to itself the vehicle for salvation for its followers. So you got addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And we'll share more with you once we get back after these commercials. Thanks. 
Hi, this is Rob Lundberg from The Real Issue Podcast. I'd like to let you know that if you have, over the last couple years, been subscribing to us on iTunes, we have now moved from iTunes to Apple Podcasts. So if you are still listening to us on iTunes, we'd like to invite you to go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to The Real Issue Podcast. That way, you won't miss a show, and you'll be able to share The Real Issue Podcast with others. So jump on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. You'll be glad that you did. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. One Minute Apologist. If you had one minute Apologia. to be able to unpack for the audience. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. My name is Bobby Conway, and I am here with Dr. Richard Howe, an author and professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Dr. Howe, it's good to be with you. Thank you, Bobby. It's good to be here. Dr. Howe, there's a lot of belief out there concerning what it means to be a cult. How would you answer, what is a cult? That word is used in two different ways, Bobby, and it causes a lot of confusion. The media uses the word to talk about groups that are socially or personally destructive. You think of Branch Davidians or uh, the Jim Jones cult, people committing suicide and these kind of things. Theologians have used the word to mean a group that departs from one or more of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. So when we sometimes refer to, say, the groups like Mormons being a cult, we're often misunderstood as if we meant to say that Mormons themselves were socially and personally destructive, which is not what we're saying. Generally, Mormons are very uh, conservative, family value oriented, so we don't mean to say them as a cult in the sociological sense, but more in the theological sense. So we're saying that they've been off on one or more doctrines. Absolutely. Great. That's exactly what we mean. Good answer. out there, so many people that have claimed to be the son of God before Christianity. It's a historical accident. Buddha taught the same sort of thing, so did Confucius, so did Mohammed. They all teach pretty much the same stuff. Can we really say what's right and what's wrong? There are a lot of different religions, a lot of different pathways that people this take to God. This business of Jesus died for your sins, well, I don't believe that. Maybe we are all attuned to frequency that vibrates through the universe that is what we've determined to be God. It's just... Many of the voices that you hear in our culture range from truth being relative to all religions say the same thing or maybe that God doesn't exist. At the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, we help churches, college groups, student groups, and young people answer those challenges. If you'd like more information about the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, contact us by calling 540-419-2162 or email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. That's 540-419-2162 or email at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com.
are talking about cults, and we're talking about it from the theological perspective. You heard in a commercial from my friend Richard Howe. That's Richard G. Howe. Of course, he has a uh, <laughs> nickname for the G, but I won't tell you what that is. But um, <laughs> be that as it may, you know, he, he divided it up into the sociological and the theological. And of course, you know, we're not going and saying that uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses cause their people to drink poisons or all that. They, they do some other stuff, more so the Jehovah's Witnesses than the LDS Church, which, uh, oh, by the way, uh, one of the things that has me going in this direction is because you will hear, you might even get the on the door where people will go and say, hi, uh, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ, and we're celebrating our bicentennial yes i saw that uh where they where they believe that this is the 200 year celebration of when joseph smith received his revelation from um the angel moroni or god the father god the son and john the baptist or he was 12 13 or 14 or 15 years old whether it was in his bedroom or in the Grove in Palmyra, New York, there's about nine different revelations that was started as a result of that. We'll talk more about that when I focus on Mormonism, probably next week. Um, if if the, the juices get flowing here, we'll probably deal with the LDS church and answer the question, are they really uh, a Christian church? I've got all kinds of resources on the LDS church. I became persona non grata when I was in Oklahoma with the LDS Church, when I did a, uh, a, a presentation in Chickasha, Oklahoma, I had three LDS members there, and they told me that I represented them. So I'm not looking to misrepresent anything. So with that said, let's start applying. I, I tell you, man, those were great memories. Let's start applying these mathematical operations. I'll cruise through these, and we'll be... Uh, We'll be rolling faster than a herd of turtles. If I was dealing with all these other groups out there, we'd be looking at probably three or four shows. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to deal with the two, and we'll go from there. All right, so let's talk about adding to the Word of God. You know, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's without error, depending if you're conservative or liberal. And also, if you're in the conservative strain, what inerrancy means. Well, we won't chase that. Um... <laughs> We also believe that the meaning of the Bible is pretty clear. And of course, while most cults will regard the Bible as, quote, unquote, the word of God, a major pattern in these groups is they're adding to the word of God. For example, if you know, you think about the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is also known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, they claim that one uh, can understand the Bible without, one cannot understand the Bible without their publications. Okay, so if you don't have their publications, then you can't understand the Bible. And of course, those publications are Awake Magazine and Watchtower Magazine. And in their Watchtower Magazine on, on May 1st, 1957, they said uh, that God has not arranged for that word to speak independently or, or to shine further life-giving truths by itself. In other words, um, the Bible itself, you know, it's not going to give you life-given truth, so where are you going to get them? You're going to get them from the Jehovah's Witnesses. You're going to get them from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. So the question then becomes, with regards to their quote here, 
This was on page 274 of the May 1st, uh, 1957 Watchtower magazine. The question I would have to ask here would be is, who has the authority to speak to, for the Bible to its people? Well, that's the governing body of the Jehovah's Witnesses interpreting the Bible for them and giving them their teachings for uh, the week and for the monthly publications. Okay, so now with reference to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons, and they're trying to get away from the Latter-day Saints term, so they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ. And of course, you know, if they have Jesus Christ in it, that makes them a, automatically a Christian church, right? No. Just like Sarah Young's book, Calling Jesus, um, just means that she's, you know, and even though she wrote that using automatic writing, a la New Age style, as a, a la occultism style. Automatic writing is an occult practice. Does that mean that she's worshiping the Jesus of the Bible? No. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that there. But back to the, the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, or whatever they want to call themselves. They believe that they are the ones to restore the gospel because it allegedly disappeared from, ex from existence. Now, I always ask them when it happened, and they can't give me an answer. And, and then they said that they believe the Bible as far as it's translated correctly. Who makes that determination? Well, they, th they say they do. And that's the problem. So Mormons also further regard the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price as more reliable than the Word of God, the Bible. So they, there you have it right there. Let's talk about subtraction. Subtraction. Subtracting from the person of Jesus Christ. And folks, this is a hallmark of the Christian faith because Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. The New Testament authors wrote, the apostolic fathers believed in the church today affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. A reoccurring major deviation from biblical Christianity in the cults is the de defective Christology. Some groups attempt to have Jesus who worked his way to godhood, while others only give him the status of an angel. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses deal with the latter. They, they consider Jesus an angel. He's the archangel Michael. And let me give you a quote there. In their book, The Truth Will Make You Free, or Shall Make You Free, it states, Being the only begotten Son of God and the firstborn of every creature, of course, they make that firstborn that he was created. The word would be a prince among all other creatures. In his office, he bore another name in heaven, which is the name Michael. Jesus is not Michael. Jesus is Michael's creator. And Michael and Lucifer and Gabriel bow before the triune God. Plain and simple. The Jehovah's Witnesses are, you know, say that Jesus is a created being, that he's not God in human flesh. Where you and I read in John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 of John 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him in all his glory, the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. But according to Je the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
He's Michael the Archangel and not able to save anyone. So the question then becomes, who does the saving? To the, well, it's the organization, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Now, when you deal with the Mormons, when they come knocking at your door, they appear to announce Christian teaching that Jesus is God. However, it is not without a radical twist. Mormons believe that Jesus was both spiritually and physically begotten by God the Father. Jesus supposedly worked his way to Godhood as his Father before him and as thousands will do after him. A source for the Latter-day Saints is the Article of Faith, and, and, and in that source, we see the theology of the Mormon godhood with the following of the what is known as the Lorenzo Snow Couplet. And that is saying that as God, as man now is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. Let's go to multiplication. We're moving pretty good here. When we talk about multiplying the requirements of salvation, when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, of course, you know, we believe that the Bible teaches pretty clearly that man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And of course, we know that from even through scripture alone. The Bible declares, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one would boast. However, in the cults, the world religions, and even liberal groups, the good works plays a major role in achieving one's salvation. Now, the system of salvation for many of the major non-Christian groups can be better understood by the equation faith plus works equals salvation. Now, let me go and unpeel that for just a second. Faith in something like the organization plus works, meaning alms, confession, penance, baptism, any type of good work equals salvation. But folks, that's not the biblical formula. The biblical formula for salvation is God-given faith begets salvation. And, and James tells us in James, his letter that show me your faith by what you do. So that falls in line with what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, which we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God has foreordained us to do. If you're in a system where it's faith plus works equals salvation, you need to get out of that group and join a good, solid Bible-believing church. The cults like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses are works-based and require works from their members in order to achieve what they believe to be paradise or even godhood. When we talk about the Mormon church, the Mormons achieve their ultimate salvation through a series of work-related actions. For a person to enter the, enter the highest degree of glory, where one can become a god, one must, in addition to faith and repentance, be baptized, tithe, perform temple duties, obtain a temple recommend in order to be married in a Mormon temple, and rid their life of such things like drinking of coffee, alcoholic beverages, and participating in temple marriage, LDS couples believe that they are in that marriage sealed for time and eternity. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses do not have it so detailed. They just believe that, you know, 
you know, you do the works and you be a publisher. Uh, in other words, go door to door, door knocking, and you'll own, earn your salvation because the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are taught to look to the anointed brothers and leaders of its organization to gain eternal life. In August 1st, 1981, on page 26 of the Watchtower, um, is where we find this, but they do this because the Watchtower has removed from them Christ's role as the mediator. You see, Jesus is our mediator, according to the book of Hebrews. On the April 1st, 1979 Watchtower, it states, Jesus is the mediator only for the anointed Christians. Well, who are the anointed Christians? The anointed Christians are considered by the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and they watch over the, the, the people, or they control the people. See how it works. So we've gone through addition, subtraction, multiplication. Now we come to the dividing the, uh, the, the loyalties, dividing of loyalties, the followers' loyalties. Christian's allegiance. When we talk about biblical Christianity. Our allegiance is not to the governor who's going and telling us to stay in. Yeah, we're doing this because we're safe. But it's a delusion of grandeur for anybody that thinks that we're in there, we're strapped, because we're not. But our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and him alone. Why? Because the Apostle Paul instructs us, you were not bought, you were, he said, you were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. That's in 1 Corinthians 7.23. And those who are followers of the cults, will be repeatedly required to divide their loyalties between their organization and the leaders and even God. Now, when we talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses, <clears throat> they frequently use this thing called doublethink. And that is saying one thing, but meaning the exact opposite. The call for faith in God, if we look at March 1st, 1979, uh, watchtower, we see that it's overshadowed by the true nature of the Watchtower, namely placing one's faith in Jehovah's Witness organization. And then in May 15th, 1979, the Watchtower magazine, also for uh, in, in um, November 15th of 1981 as well, those two dated magazines leave little doubt as to the necessity of the organization for its followers by declaring that the mission of the Jehovah's Witnesses includes invitation to come to the Jehovah's Organization for salvation. Now, the Mormon Church is, is, is totally different too. The members of the Mormon Church direct their ultimate devotion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which declares that all other churches and denominations are, as apost are apostate, and corrupt in their ways. Of course, Joseph Smith Jr., founder of the Mormon Church, claimed to have sought God as to which of all the churches was right. Smith then asserted that God the Father and God the Son appeared to him and instructed him to um, not trust any of them. He said that um, he must not join must join none of them, for they were all wrong, that all their creeds were an abomination, and those professors were all corrupt. 
That's in the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith, History of the Church, 119. So when you talk about cults, you talk about addition, do they add to, add to the uh, authoritative works? Do they subtract from the deity of Christ? Do they multiply the requirements for salvation? And do they divide loyalties? We've just looked at two of them. But there are other things that we can take into consideration as well as we wrap our show up for today. There's a recurrent trend that are found with many cults, such as speculations and date settings. And Christians need to be very careful of this as well, particularly concerning the return of Jesus Christ. And this enables the group to be able to enlist new members or converts and also gain stronger allegiance from its present followers. We have obscure biblical attention through an authoritative or dogmatic standard debatable on minor biblical issues that have no bearing on our salvation. Some groups claim that there is an additional need for offices of apostle and prophets like the New Apostolic Reformation and the, the word faith, prosperity, gospel movements. This opens up the door for new special revelation and obscure applications, misapplications of scripture, and new mystical practices like Bethel's churches, new age practices and stuff, the things that are going on. We also have financial exploitation. Oh, wow, we could follow this one to Kenneth Copeland. Um, financial exploitation of followers by the cult that goes beyond voluntary giving of New Testament toward a coercive control of members' finances. A price may be applied to receive a healing, whether physical or spiritual, or reach a spiritual progress, or to gain salvation itself. There's also things like the denial of eternal punishment uh, that can come from... Uh, leading attraction for the cults. The cultic trend is to deny the existence of hell directly by opting for this thing called the annihilationism. Uh, and I know that pastors love John Stott, and he's got a great book, but little do people realize that John Stott was an annihilationist. Now, does that mean that he is in hell? I don't know. I can't say. He, he wrote just like Joseph Henry Thayer, who was not a Christian, but he wrote a great Greek lexicon, and he was a Unitarian Universalist. John Stott was a pretty sound theologian, except on the doctrine, his doctrine of hell. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in annihilation as well. Uh, the, the eternal plan of progression is that which is um, embraced by the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which basically... There is no hell because you end up in spirit prison and end up in one of three types of heaven. Um, there's another pattern of, uh, pattern of fostering paranoia, citing one group or an element of society as planning conspiracy for world takeover. Also an isolationist attitude that is an us against the world elitist stance taking, taken by the group. There are characteristics which has plagued many cult groups such as doctrinal changes. Numerous groups have found uh, shifts in theology to take place after the death of one leader and replacement by a successor and have men made alterations because of inner strife or outside social pressure. One of those, I mentioned those earlier in our show today, was the Worldwide Church of God, which that happened. But that was a positive result in that. It wasn't because it created another cult, even though the splinter group of the cult did stay intact. And then we also see things like uncertain or ambiguous hope of salvation. 
This is an additional deceitfully clever device utilized by the cults, and a person never really uh, has certainty, um, never really has certainty um, of possessing eternal life, uh, and that can be continually manipulated into striving, striving uh, for unrealizable goals. And then, of course, fear becomes the major motivator of one's actions. So there you have it. Um, what we have today is a pagan invasion. We have an pagan invasion with the bicentennial of the Mormon church. We have a pagan invasion with the practices of prosperity gospel and the new apostolic reformation. We have a pagan invasion happening because Christians are not discerning staying close to their Bibles while they're being quarantined during this. Let me encourage you to get into the word of God Get into some good reading. I would recommend to you The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Uh, you can get that on Kindle. You can get Josh McDowell's books uh, on world religions and secular religions and all. Uh, him and he had that with um, uh, John Stewart's brother. Um, can't remember first name. Um, I'll remember it later. But there are plenty of resources out there. Also, go to the real issues. Uh, go to my website, Rob Lundberg Apologetics. You'll see the real issue apologetics ministry as the header. And uh, check out the resources that we have there as well. And check out our links because we can get you. I got links on. I have links on there that will take you to like the apologetics in, index and the Watchtower, uh, Watchman Fellowship, not Watchtower, but Watchman Fellowship. And you'd be able to go and glean from those uh, links as well. We want to, we're here to equip you. We're here to uh, help you discern the times in which we're in. If you have any questions, you can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. You'll notice that I got the commercials all updated, and I got some new fresh commercials as well. And we'll be creating more as we go through this COVID quarantining, as uh, depending on how long that goes. If you are quarantined like we are, I am sure that uh, you're probably going stir crazy. But I promise you, this show wasn't because we're going stir crazy. I'm, we're doing this show today because we have seen some things happening, and we've seen this these ideologies invading Christianity. And folks, we love you enough to sound the warning. We love you enough to be able to put our head on the chopping block with a church that I preached to at one point in time and show me where I'm wrong. And we did it very graciously. And I hope you found us gracious listening to the show today. So until next week, if you have the opportunity to get out, if you have the opportunity for online interaction with people, family, friends, whoever, let me encourage you to have you share this show with them. And we are looking to do more shows. We are looking to do more uh, as we are figuring out how to do ministry while being quarantined. So I thank you for listening. And we will be back with you with another show next week. As you have opportunity, go and be his ambassador. And as you have opportunity to talk to people, give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.